0: Hey, welcome to Midtown West. I'm Matt, uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, I want to do something real quick. Uh, I want, we, we do this from time to time because we're, we're evolving and we're, we're trying to like help get us there. If everybody would just say amen really loudly. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. amen. Okay, thank you. So now you've all said it. We know how this feels. Uh, amen just means, like, may it be so, or I'm so glad that this is true. And this sermon this morning is full of a lot of things that we're glad are true. And so um, I would encourage you to just get out of your comfort zone and try that on a little bit. And if I say something from up front or the Lord says something through me that you're like, thank God that's true, if you just say amen, and you've already said it. So if somebody makes fun of you, you'd be like, you said it too. So <laughs> lay off, sucker. Um, Okay, so jumping into the sermon today, it made me think about um, I worked at a summer camp a few years, and one of the jobs that I had was to be at the top of the zipline tower. And uh, we had kids, 7 through 13-year-olds, at this camp. And so these kids would come, and their counselors would, you know, be doing other things, and my partner and I would be at the uh, top of the zipline line. And one of my favorite things in the whole world of working that part of camp was that these kids that were so scared, it's like to give them a win... And to like see them do something they're afraid of and then see the result of that, that it was like really life giving. And then it just builds their courage and kind of carries from beyond that. Um, So the way that I would do that is suspect, because what would happen would be um, the kid would be saying like, hey, I'm not going to go. I'm like, I know, I know. But we're just going to put this harness on. And so I'd be, like, talking to him, like, hey, where are you from? And, you know, like, okay, yeah, just step in there. Great, great, great. And just carry on this conversation. He's like, why are we putting this on if I'm not going? I'm like, that's a great question. I don't know. We just do it with everybody. So it just kind of kept, like, putting the harness on. And then I'm like, hey, just hold on to this handle right here. I'm like, wait, but I'm not going. I'm like, I yeah, I know, but it's, we just do this. And then at some point, it would just say, hey, man, look, you're already ready to go. Like, this is going to be awesome. You're totally safe and good. And they're like yeah but I still don't want to go and I'm like I know and, and so you kind of have to have like this sense of like am I going to damage this kid for the rest of their life or am I going to give them a win and I mean nobody bats a thousand but I feel like probably 90 percent of the time I was on target and for the kids that were like this is going to be a win I'd just be like what's that over there Woo! and, this, like, ah! and then they get to the bottom and they're like yes this is awesome uh, but like working in other camps, I just had to get off of my, my chest. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, being in other camp environments and like having kids doing like climbing, and and you know, kids are just like terrified. And I was like, that's a great illustration of what we're talking about: is that kids are on either the climbing wall or on this cliff or whatever, or going down the zip line. And they're, they're terrified because they realize the gravity of what we're dealing with. Like, if I fall from this height, it's not gonna go well. And so they're thinking about the danger, the need um, of safety, and they're also thinking about uh, how weak they are, that like, I'm not a great climber, there's a good chance I could slip or that I could let go. Um, but what they're not thinking about is the power of the harness. And it's like, before we even got on this wall, you got connected to this harness and, and maybe if it's like a belay situation, you got connected to this harness and this person who is like a professional, not me, the other people do it. Um, but you're not going anywhere. Like worst case scenario is you get weak, you slip, you let go, you completely disconnected from the, the cliffside. You are staying right where you are because of the power that is not yours, the power that comes from somewhere else. Um, that is keeping you and holding you and protecting you. And so as we continue to walk through this series of uh, the book of Revelation, today we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, and this is coming on the heels of Revelation chapter 6 last week. And the way that chapter, you know, chapter 6 is uh, talking about the things to come, the great tribulation, the great pressure of the incoming kingdom of God putting pressure on the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of the enemy. And when that happens, there is going to be pain. There is going to be casualty. There is going to be um, suffering. And at the end, uh, we talked about the, the seven seals, like the, the scroll with seven seals is being opened. This, John got this vision. Um, if you're with us for the first time, uh, I'm sorry. It's, Revelation is, is a little complicated, but you're welcome to go back and listen to the other sermons. But, um, you know, the will of God from the time of Jesus... Um, death and resurrection to the end of all things is represented in this scroll that's sealed with seven seals and so last week we talked about the one who is worthy to unfold human history because he is the one who's conquered by his blood and that is the lamb and he comes and he takes the scroll he's the only one who's worthy to take the scroll from the hand of the one who sits on the throne God the father and he begins to open the scroll and unfold the rest of human history, and it, it, with each seal, something different happens, and at the end, uh, we only got through the first six seals, but at the end of the sixth seal, it's basically like the cosmos is starting to fall apart. It's almost as if God, who is the sustainer of everything, is beginning to let go because he's doing something new, and at this moment, um, all of those on the earth are begin to freak out, and, and this statement is made, this question is asked, um, For the great day of the wrath of the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne has come, and who can stand? And so, what is happening in chapter 7, and Charlie, if you'll come on up, um, chapter 7 is the subsequent vision that comes that answers that question. It's a vision, what he is seeing in this vision takes place, sort of like a back to the future moment, takes place before the six seals of of chapter six. It's kind of a double vision. The first half takes place before all of that. And the second vision takes place after all of that. And so just leave it there.
1: Revelation seven, one through 17. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, be to God. Thanks Charlie.
0: Father, we come into your presence this morning from a lot of different places, Uh, some of us exhausted, some of us rested and refreshed, some of us desiring to be here, some of us would rather be anywhere else other than here. Lord, I pray uh, the truth, I thank you for the truth that no matter where we feel and no matter where we find ourselves, you have called us here and that's why we're here. And Lord, you have called us here uh, not to hurt us or curse us, but to bless us. Uh, and to shower your love and your grace and your mercy upon us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. Uh, We cannot grow. We cannot see you. We cannot do anything of value apart from you. So we pray through your Holy Spirit that you would come awaken us, that uh, as Lucas prayed before, that you would knock the ice off of our hearts, Lord, that you would warm us to your goodness and your tenderness, Lord, that we would be changed by your affection for us. And, Father, I pray for those of us who are in you, uh, who are in Jesus, who are believing in Jesus, Lord, that uh, we would be renewed today. And I pray for those who are not, Lord, that uh, you would call their name and they would respond to you. And we ask you to do all these things uh, because you are good and you love us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you are a lover of three-point sermons, you're going to enjoy today. Um, There you go. Uh, that's not the usual around here. Um, okay, so uh, we're talking about being sealed, the seal of God. And so uh, the, the first thing we're going to look at is, like, just what is the seal of God? The when, the why, the how of it. Just what is, what is it to be sealed by God? Uh, the second thing we're going to look at is the power of the seal of God. And the third thing we're going to look at is the purpose or the fruit of the seal of God. What, what, are, what are people sealed for? Uh, so first, these first eight uh, verses, the first vision uh, is, is just looking at what it is, like what is that, the seal of God? Um, and so... You know, John here is he's receiving these visions. These are these are visions. They're true things, but they're symbolic representations of true things. These are not meant to be taken uh, word for word exactly. Like like these things are exactly as they're said here. This is just these are things that are beyond uh, our comprehension. And so, the way that God reveals these things to John through these visions is he's communicating the truth, um, but of course, it's not going to be exactly in all of its fullness exactly the way it is, because at this point, John is not capable of uh, conceiving of all of these things and all of their fullness. So he sees this vision, and he sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. And we've talked a lot about the, the number symb- uh, symbology. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, the symbolic nature of the number four in Revelation is it's like this completeness. The four corners of the earth means all of the earth, the four winds of the earth. And so um, here we see the four angels, four different angels are standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, and they've been given power to harm the earth. So it kind of, you know, this is pointing back, but pointing forward to uh, what we talked about last week and what's in chapter six is the, the first four seals that were opened are these four riders that are let loose on the earth to do all of this damage. You know, it's, it's what is happening when the kingdom of God is pressing in on the kingdom of this world, there is going to be suffering. And so what we're seeing here is we're going back in time before any of those seals are opened. And he's seeing the angels holding back the four winds that are going to bring these riders. Um, this, you know, We talk a lot about how Revelation is really the fulfillment and the culmination of all of this uh, symbolism of Scripture, all of the visions, all the prophecies throughout the Old Testament. Is, it's all pointing toward and being ultimately fulfilled in Revelation. And so um, this points back to Zechariah 6.5, where it says uh, the riders are going out to the four winds of heaven. And those riders are the four riders that we saw in Revelation chapter 6. So before the winds are released and all this damage and destruction is going to come on the earth, before these riders begin to ride out and, and do, do what they're going to do on the earth, uh, this other angel shows up and says... Uh, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. There's something that has to happen first before all of this is, is let loose. And that thing is that we have to seal God's people before all of this comes on the earth. And this points back to a vision from Ezekiel 9, which is this prophecy where God is telling a man who is clothed in linen holding a seal. He's holding like uh, writing instruments where they would like write a write an official letter and then put it, uh, I don't know if they put it in an envelope or not, but they would seal it with the official seal that this was like from the one who wrote this, it's in their hand, it's their authority, it's their letter, and it's going to the person it's meant to go to. And he said it's this vision of this man dressed in linen with this like writer's box that has the seal and the pen and the the parchment and everything. And he's walking through the earth and God tells him, pass through Jerusalem and put a mark or a seal on the foreheads of all the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in my city. And then it says to the, to the others that were with them, pass through the city after he does this and strike and you shall show no pity. So it's this picture, um, the picture that we're getting here in Revelation 7 is pointing back to this picture in Ezekiel 9 where God is saying, um, not everyone who calls on my name, not everyone who is of the people of God by birth is actually my people because all sorts of horrible things are happening. All sorts of sin is happening in my holy city. These people who are claiming to be mine and saying my name are committing all these heinous acts and all of this terrible sin. And so what's actually going to happen is I want you, servant of mine, to go out and put a mark on the forehead of everyone who actually is mine, everyone who does belong to me, who is of God, who is a child of God. And and the way you will know is their desire will be for God's will. He says um, in that vision in Ezekiel 9, uh, put a mark on the foreheads of the people who sigh and groan over all of the sin that's being committed. Like the people whose hearts are with me, the people who really long to do my will, the people who um, their their desire is to serve and love the living God and be in relationship with him. Um, Put a seal on them, and then everyone else is going to be destroyed. And so uh, what is it to be sealed? It's, It's to be secured. It's to be protected. It's to be claimed. Um, in the time of the writing of Revelation, slaves were marked on their foreheads to show who they belonged to and whose they were. Um, and so this is a way of God is, is putting his seal and saying, um, I have claimed these people. They are mine. They are my people. They, they, have, uh, they are men and women after my own heart. They are people whose hearts have been changed and uh, they are being transformed and they are Uh, mine for my possession for all eternity. Is this a literal mark on people's foreheads? No, I don't think so. I think this is symbolism. And so why is this necessary for these people to be sealed? Um, It's necessary because of the question that gets asked at the end of Revelation 6, who can stand? Um, Who can stand? I mean, I I think about the the song, um, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that we just sang. Were it not for the one who is on our side, were it not for Jesus, we would be undone. Um, We cannot stand in the face of temptation. We cannot stand in the face of suffering. We are weak. We are frail. Our hearts are weak. Um, We are duplicitous. We can say we love God uh, the first minute, and the second minute we're off doing things that he hates because we cannot trust ourselves. And so were it not for God giving us some sort of power, claiming us for himself and keeping us and carrying us through all of of what is called the great pressure of living life in this world under this kingdom of darkness as the kingdom of light is breaking in, we would be undone. And so that is why we have to be sealed and we cannot seal ourselves, it is only something that God can do. Romans 3, this is why it's necessary to be sealed. Romans 3 says, are Jews any better off than Gentiles? Are God's chosen people from the Old Testament any better off than any other people in all of the world? No. All are under sin's dominion. No one is good. No one loves God from the heart. No one honors him as God. That's the reality we live in. No one is good apart from God. Were, it left to, were we left to our own devices, we would be ruined. So that is the why of the seal. Why is this necessary? The how of the seal. How are they sealed? Um, we get a picture of this in uh, Exodus 12, the story of the Passover, which of course points forward to Jesus. But in the Passover, it's the same thing happening. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. He's coming to bring judgment on Egypt. And, and after all the plagues that, he, that go before this last plague, He says, okay, finally, like I'm gonna make Pharaoh let my people go. There's gonna be a destroyer angel that is gonna come through all of Egypt and kill the firstborn of every living thing. Every house he's gonna visit. But here's the thing, he's not just gonna visit Egyptian houses. He's gonna visit Israelite houses too because everyone is sinful. Because no one loves God from the heart. No one honors God as God. Everyone is deserving of God's wrath. But for those who are God's people, not because they're sinless, because no one is, but because He has chosen them and He has put His seal on them, He said, you are going to slaughter a spotless lamb, and you are going to put some of the blood on the doorpost of your house. And when my destroyer angel passes by and sees the blood on the doorframe, he will pass over your house, and the firstborn in your house will not be killed." Again, it has nothing to do with your behavior. It has nothing to do with your feelings about yourself. It has nothing to do with any of your own efforts. It is only through faith. You're hearing me say, this is my gracious and merciful way for you to live and escape my wrath, and you're believing it, and you're doing the thing. And you're putting the blood on the doorpost, and I am passing over you, and you will not be harmed by my wrath. And this, of course, is pointing to Jesus, who is called the Lamb. In Revelation, he is the Lamb who was slain. And it is by his blood that we who are in Christ are covered. Not because we're better than anyone else. No, because we desperately need a Savior. Because we are sinners just like everyone else on the face of the earth. But when God has called and has shared his good news with us, of his love for us in Jesus, and he says, all you have to do is believe we believe. And it's not because we have strong faith, it's because we're sealed. It's because God has set a seal on us and said, "These are my people, and I'm going to carry them through all eternity so that they are safe with me." Ephesians 1:13 and 14 says it like this, "In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it. That means until we realize the fullness of it while we walk this earth in the great pressure of the kingdom's clashing to the praise of his glory. So now we are sealed. This is amazing, y'all. We, we are sealed um, by the Holy Spirit. That means the very Spirit of God, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. And he is working in us to give us a new heart, to give us new desires, to give us a new understanding, to open our blind eyes, to work in us and make us different and make us new. Give us new, uh, a new place to put our hope, to give us new, new purpose, new everything, new life in Jesus is through the indwelling Holy Spirit who is working in us until the day that Jesus returns. And he is calling us home and we will realize We will acquire the possession of all the fullness of what we already have. We will realize it when Jesus returns. So that is how we are sealed. And then when are we sealed? And this is really good news. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says this. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. If you think... (laughs) that God's love for you has anything to do with you being a good person. I want you to hear this one more time. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Before you ever drew your first breath, God knew you and he called you to himself and he made you his. And he said, this is mine. And I will have all of my people. No one will be able to snatch my people out of my hand. Because no one can stand against the power of God. And when we belong to him, we belong to him not because we decided to. It's not as fickle as that. I don't have to be afraid of whether I will be separated from God forever because I wake up one day and don't feel like it. I am united with God. The Holy Spirit lives in me. That's why marriage is a picture of this relationship with God because it's a covenant. Two have become one and they cannot be separated. The Holy Spirit can never be separated from me anymore because I'm in Christ. And he's given me himself fully and completely. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in Jesus the beloved. And then we have this picture of, of who it is that's getting sealed, 144,000. Okay, that number is symbolic. The, the, sim, the symbolism of that number is there were 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's saying there are 12 times 12 of fullness, it's complete, times a 1,000, a lot. Every single one of God's people throughout all of human history has been sealed and there are a lot of them. And when it walks through this, this um, you know, the 12,000 from each of these tribes, something interesting about this is um, now we have a whole new thing. This list is all about God. It's not about man. It's not about being born into the right family. It's not about being born into the nation of Israel. It's not about any of this. Because God said that the true Israel is by faith. There are people who are Jewish and there are people who are Gentile in my people come from everywhere, <laughs> come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, uh, when this list was usually listed in the Old Testament to talk about these 12 tribes, usually Reuben was listed first because he was the firstborn of this list. But now Judah's listed first because Jesus comes from the line of Judah, saying it all depends on Jesus. And Dan, who is one of the 12 tribes, is left off this list symbolically. It doesn't mean that nobody from the tribe of Dan is going to be with Jesus in eternity. But uh, Dan is talked about in Scripture, uh, in a a prophecy about him as being a serpent in the way. And Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. (laughs) There's going to be no more sin. There's going to be no more evil influence in my kingdom and my people. All of my people are going to be mine, and they're going to be made perfectly new in me. And Manasseh, who is one of Joseph's sons, is now listed instead of Dan. And his name means God has made me forget my hardship and all of my father's house, meaning um, the Lord has done something by grace and it has nothing to do with anything that I've done. So that is about the ceiling. This is a vision that takes place at the, before the beginning of human history to answer the question who can stand in the last days? And now, We see the power of the seal and answering the question, will the harness hold? Like God has done all this, but like what, to what end, to what effect? And so verses nine through 14, we're, we're transported now to the future of, of the day that has not come yet. Um, when, when Jesus returns and makes all things new and we see this, John sees this second vision that he shares and he is now back in the throne room and what does he see? Behold, anytime behold is listed or or stated, it's like you're not going to believe this. Really pay attention. A great multitude that no one could number. So, again, 144,000 is symbolic because there are going to be way more people than that. From every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palms, waving palm branches crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Heaven, (laughs) the throne room of God, uh, and and this is a beautiful picture, a a very concise way to talk about human history. The difference between eternity past and eternity future is that now instead of the throne room of God being uh, the, the triune God, and, and maybe when he created these four creatures and the angels, uh, now in eternity future, it's, it's God plus a multitude that no one can number of all of his people, praising him for all time. And that is, that is the why of all of human history, because God wanted that room filled with his people, And he has made a way for that room to be filled with his people. People from every ethnicity, clothed in the blood of the lamb, covered in the blood of the lamb, made clean, made new, waving palm branches. That's what you did for a a, a victorious king on his return from battle. And this lamb is victorious. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has conquered all of our enemies so that we no longer have to fear anything. And, And these people are worshiping, not saying, save us, You know, this this scene where they're waving palm branches when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem before the Passover and people are waving all these palm branches and they're yelling, Hosanna. Hosanna means, save us now. Please save us. These people are saying it in past tense. You have saved us. We are yours. We are saved for all eternity. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, to the Father and to the Lamb, to the Son. And the angels, this is, this is, a fun part of this passage to get to know the angels a little bit better. Um, You know, we know in all of scripture that angels are terrifying beings. Anytime an angel appears to someone, they fall down as though dead. (laughs) Like, please leave me alone. And the angels always have to say, don't be afraid. But also this picture of angels. um, In Luke 15, 10, Jesus says this, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then if you remember uh, the the nativity, the the birth story of Jesus, an angel appears to the shepherds who are out in a field, just this little group of shepherds, just a, a bunch of nobodies. And they're saying, hey, come see the one who has been born. And it says after they tell him this news, all of a sudden there is a multitude of angels, this huge heavenly host that begins playing the most probably amazing worship concert of all time. And they're just like for these just few shepherds. And it's, so there's this thing about angels that they cannot contain the joy of God's work uh, in people's lives, of his salvation of his people. And so if, if there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents, then you can imagine in this scene where they see the full multitude that no one can number of all of God's people brought safely to him, their minds are blown, they are in utter disbelief. And we see this because they fall down on their faces in worship, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It's this, this book-ended of like, yes, this is everything. And it's, it's amazing to us to see like, it's, it's like the fulfillment of the greatest, most intricate murder mystery story ever created. The angels have been watching throughout all of history, wondering, how is this going to happen? And then they see it happen, and they see all of God's people, and they see all the, the sin in the world. They see all the sin of the people who are supposed to be God's people, and they're like, how is this going to happen? And they see uh, Jesus crucified, and like, what is, what is happening? And then now they see all of it come together, and they are just in awe. Wisdom be to this God. Who could have dreamt a story like this? You know, it's like when you read a a great book and you're like, this author is amazing. They are watching unfold throughout all of human history and even before human history, the greatest story ever told and at the completion, they are just in awe. And thanksgiving be to our God forever because what he has done for these people is, is just truly amazing. It cannot be fathomed. His artistry, his power is, is unbelievable. This, this alone is the living God. This, this God alone is the God who is deserving of all worship and all praise from every living creature for all time. We see these angels, like um, I thought about Kristen Wiig's character Sue this week, who uh, freaks out over the surprises. <laughs> And that's really what, I mean, that's what these angels are doing, like, oh my gosh, he's going to save everybody, and they don't even know it, and we don't know how it's going to happen. I'm just ecstatic to be a part of this. Just these angels just in the service of this living God doing this thing, and they don't even understand it as it's happening. They just get pieces, but they get a front row seat to watch it unfold, and they are blown away. And then one of the elders asked John, who are these people and where have they come from? you're like, what? It's a weird little interaction because John's like, hey man, I actually have no idea and I think you probably know. And he's like, all right, I'll just tell you. <laughs> it's like, why, yeah, why does he ask that question? And I think he's, he's making a point. He's like, look at these people and tell me who they are. And John's like, man, I, I actually don't want to say, because I'm not sure that I know for sure, but would you tell me? And he says, yeah, these are the ones who are sealed. These are the ones who are sealed from before the foundation of the earth. So the answer to the question is yes, the harness is very strong. The sealing of God, uh, nothing can stand against it. And he has set his seal on these people before the foundation of the world. And they're all here. It's a a number that no one could count, but if you could count them, you would see that not one of them is lost. They're all here. They have have lived through, some of them, hell on earth. They've lived through all kinds of suffering. They've lived through all kinds of their own sin, doing damage to their own souls. They've lived through all kinds of temptation. They've lived through all, all sorts of pain and loss, and every single one of them is here safe, safe and sound. And that brings us to our last point here, verses 15 through 17. What are they sealed for? What is at the top of this cliff that we've been harnessed and and told to climb? What's up here? They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will neither hunger nor thirst anymore nor be subject to any more suffering. The lamb will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What is this picture? This is a picture of a life of perfect peace, a life of perfect joy, a life of perfect love. It is like the fulfillment of all of our nostalgic longings for home and the home that we've never been to. You know, as I was thinking about this this week, um, it made me think about just as a little kid um, being at my grandparents' house, and just everybody was there. And everybody was just doing what they loved, and we were just all there together, and we were safe, and we were happy, and people were just, you just enjoyed life. There was no, nothing to have to go strive for and do in these little moments. It was just enjoying being together and... And the beauty of relationships and the beauty of God's creation and the beauty of the things that he's given us to entertain us and, and make us laugh and, and make us um, just be in awe of, of his expansive creation. It's this picture of not this like slavish worship service. You're not like a, an altar boy or woman in the, uh, a big heavenly worship service for all time. This is a picture of just a fullness and a peace. We don't have to run anymore because there's no more war. We don't have to fear anymore because we're not gonna lose anybody else. There's no more disease, there's no more harm, there's no more killing, there's no more anything. There's just perfect peace and perfect love and perfect joy. Yeah, amen. So what does this mean for us? Well, it's really good news. The fact that this is true means for us that my salvation is not dependent on my feelings or other people's feelings about me. It's not dependent on my ability to keep myself from sinning. I never, never need to fear my own frailty because I am harnessed to the God of the universe who lives in me, who will never leave me, who is making all things new. And he will, he will finish the good work that he started in me and you. And so this God is the God who is calling you by the fact that you are sitting here today hearing this, he is calling you. And he is saying, my invitation is extended to everyone who hears this message. Would you come and find life in me? Would you believe that this is true and that you are in need of a savior and I am that savior and all you have to do is just come to me. And that offer is, is available for everyone. And for those of us who are, who are already in Christ, um, be strengthened by this, be encouraged by this, be convicted of this, of all the ways that we doubt his sealing, all the ways that we doubt his work in our lives, all the ways that we make it about us. Let him renew your heart today and and be brought back to sanity in this peace of knowing that we are his, and it depends not on our efforts. Father, thank you for this word. It is a word that is worthy of our praise and our worship, because the one who spoke it is worthy of our praise and our worship. So Lord, would you lead us today as we continue to worship? Uh, Father, would we, um, like these angels, not be afraid to fall down on our faces, not be afraid to, to worship loudly like these, uh, well, it's us. <laughs> As we see this picture of us in the future worshiping loudly in our white robes with our palm branches, would we uh, do that even now? In Jesus' name, amen.